Uh, this week on Facebook, I saw uh, another preacher friend of mine ask a question. Uh, he said, what are some one-liners you grew up hearing from your mom that are chock full of wisdom? And even as I asked that question, I'm sure there are uh, statements or, or just one-liners that your mom would say uh, that just come to your mind automatically. Um, so I just want to share some of my favorites with you, and these are all um, one-liners that my mom has said to me or my uh, other three siblings as we were growing up. Um, how about this one? It's not what you say, but it's how you say it, right? Uh, that's an important, important thing to be mindful of. Um, and this one is, I, I don't know, I, I guess there is a little bit of wisdom to it. Uh, wait until your father gets home, right? Um, or this one, kind of along the same lines, go ask dad. Um, I remember mom saying this to us whenever we were little, stop pouting so much or your face will freeze that way. Um, I remember her saying uh, whenever we would want to, to buy something, is that a want or is it, is it a need? Uh, but one of the things that I remember my mom saying over and over again as we were growing up, and I'm sure you've heard it as well, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. Lots of wisdom in, in those statements. If we applied all of those to our lives each and every day, um, we would probably be doing pretty well. Uh, we are in a series over the past few weeks uh, about encouragement. It has been entitled The Fine Art of Lifting a Life. The Fine Art of Lifting a Life. We want to uh, focus on this idea of how we can come alongside others in our lives and, and encourage them and, and lift them up. We've been using this verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, Two are better than one. Next slide, please. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Our faith is supposed to be lived out in community. We are supposed to, to be together. That's the way God designed it. We aren't supposed to be going through our faith by ourselves. And it doesn't take long as you are in community with others, as you are in church, as you are in relationship with others, that you realize that, that community isn't clean, it isn't perfect, it isn't spotless. Rather, it is sometimes messy, nuanced. There are, are difficult times. And it's through those difficult times whenever uh, we need to be encouraged. Or maybe we need to come alongside somebody else and and be an encouragement to them. Chris has mentioned over the past few weeks uh, a number of different statements throughout the, Old Test or throughout the Bible, uh, primarily the New Testament, uh, the one another statements, like love one another and, and encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 say this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And as we've been talking about this idea of lifting each other up, of, of being an encouragement to others, we've been working with this definition. To encourage is to motivate others in the direction of Jesus. To encourage is to motivate others in the direction of Jesus. We want to, to lift others up towards, towards Jesus. A few weeks ago, Chris talked about Barnabas, maybe the most common person in the Bible that we think of when we think about encouragement. His nickname was the son of encouragement. 
And Barnabas encouraged others by, by coming alongside them and helping meet their needs. He encouraged others by, by looking for the good in, in those individuals, by thinking positively about, about uh, his friends and, and his companions. Then last week, we looked at a guy named Onesiphorus, who was simply an encouragement by being present. Sometimes you can just encourage by listening. You don't have to have the right answers. You don't have to know what to say. You can just be there and encourage somebody. And today, we're going to talk about a guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras is an example of encouragement to us by what he says, by the words that he uses. And we don't... uh, Read a lot about Epaphras in the Bible, but I want to read two, uh, a few verses, two different spots in the book of Colossians, where we are introduced to this guy named Epaphras, this encourager. Colossians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 say this. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And then a few chapters later, at the end of the book, Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, it says this. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So here we have this guy, Epaphras, and, and he has lived his life following the advice he probably learned from his mother that if you don't have anything nice to say, then, then don't say anything at all. And we see that every time he opens his mouth about someone else, he has something positive and uplifting to say about them, whether or not they are there in his presence. Now, Epaphras can be found in the shadow of the Apostle Paul. Other than the verses we uh, just read from Colossians, he's only mentioned one other time in Scripture in Philemon, verse 23. But even though we don't have much information about him, he stands as an example to us to be admired in service for the Lord. His name simply means lovely or, or charming. And as we'll see, that is a pretty apt description of this servant of, of the Lord. Now, Epaphras um, was a native to Colossae. Now, we see that in verse 12 that says uh, that he is one of you. Uh, but at one point in his life, he traveled to, to Ephesus, and he just happened to be in Ephesus at the same time that Paul was doing some ministry there. And we read about that ministry in Acts chapter 19. And, and while he's there in Ephesus, he meets Paul, he hears the message that Paul is preaching, and he decides to become a, a follower of Jesus. But not only does he become a follower of Christ, he returns home with that same good news of the gospel and he begins to tell his friends and his family. And eventually, he plants a church. He becomes a pastor. And he doesn't just plant one church, but he helps plant churches in the neighboring towns of Laodicea and Hierapolis. And so when Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, that he is a faithful minister of Christ, it is for good reason. And so Paul refers to him as a fellow servant. Epaphras is very important to Paul. So much so that um, if somebody were to read the letter to the Colossians back then, they would think, yeah, I, I know Epaphras. He was, I was baptized by him. Now, this letter that we have, the book of Colossians, was written by Paul while he was in Rome in prison. 
And evidently, Epaphras decided that he needed to travel to Rome to visit Paul. While things had been going pretty well in his churches, there was growing concern about false doctrine that had infiltrated the churches of the region. And so he wanted to go and and sit at the feet of Paul and gain some wisdom about how to handle this difficult situation. Now, I think it's interesting, uh, whenever Paul writes to the Colossians, he he has never been to this church before. He's never been to the church in Colossae. He doesn't know anybody that he is writing to. This actually happens only one other time in all of Scripture where Paul is writing to somebody that he hasn't met before, and that's the book of Romans. Everything that Paul knows of this church in Colossae has come from the reports of Epaphras. And so whenever Paul starts saying in verse 9, in chapter 1, And so from the day we have heard, we have not not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to talk in a manner worthy, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So Paul wants to encourage this church to to grow in the greater devotion to Christ so that they will be able to stand firm in the face of false teachers. But even before that, Paul begins this letter thankful for what he has heard about these Christians in Colossae. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 and 5 says this. We always thank God, the God of our Father, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and we heard of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel. So Paul is thankful for the kind, uplifting things that Epaphras has to say about his church. And Epaphras ends up spending a considerable amount of time with Paul while he is in prison. Um, Epaphras isn't the one who delivers this letter to the church in Colossae, even though he is their pastor. He, he stays for a little while with Paul, and, and as the days go by and conversations come and go and stories of life change are, are shared, Paul begins to realize something. Epaphras really loves his church. Epaphras really loves this, this flock of people that God has entrusted to him. And maybe nothing puts that on display more than his prayers. Epaphras is an encourager. He is someone who wants to to lift a life, and he does that with the words that he says. He does that by how he prays. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Two one another statements right there in this verse. That you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so this morning, I want to look at the life of Epaphras and what we see of him in Scripture. And I want to talk about four things that we can learn from him about how to encourage others through prayer, how to be an encouragement, how to to lift a life by the things that we pray. And so here's the first thing that we can learn. Epaphras was faithful in his prayer life. 
He was faithful in his prayer life. Notice in verse 12 that Paul says that he is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He is always struggling and always praying. Epaphras was a man of prayer. Now just how often Epaphras went to to prayer on behalf of these fellow members of the church in Colossae, uh, we, we can't know. But it was consistent enough and often enough to gain the attention of Paul and and to impress him. And so Epaphras had great faith in a God who would hear and answer prayers. He prayed faithfully because he knew that it was powerful to change circumstances and to change lives. We could say that Paul or that Epaphras was a, a prayer warrior. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. And you might think to yourself, you know what? I'm not I'm not that much of a prayer warrior. But simply, maybe that's because we are out of of practice. Great athletes become great by faithfully training and working on their particular skills. Great musicians achieve success by faithfully practicing. And so it stands to reason that we would become better prayers if we prayed more faithfully. Paul commands us to pray without ceasing, to pray, pray continuously. The prayer should be our first immediate response to every need. But if you're like me, there are times where uh, I'm, I'm... dealing with something, trying to to sort through something. And and in that process, I am trying every human endeavor that I can to try and fix that problem. Instead of first going to God in prayer, having it be my first response rather than my last. Epaphras was faithful in his prayer life. The second thing that we can see is that Epaphras was fervent in his prayer life. Now, most of the English translations that you might read in your Bible, um, some of them don't have this particular word, but a few of them add, add a word to verse 12, and that word is, is fervently or, or earnestly, saying that he is always laboring, struggling fervently, praying earnestly for you. And this word means to, to strive or, or to contend or to, to work hard towards. And Epaphras prayed with, with intensity. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a woman named Hannah who was unable to have children. Because of that, in her sadness and in her despair, she, she prays to God. And we read that, that it says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And in this particular story, she's, she's praying for an extended amount of time and, and somebody starts to watch her praying and, and they're confused a little bit. They, they're confused as to how intensely she is praying they actually question whether or not she's drunk. She was praying intensely. To pray fervently is to, to pray like Jesus. Notice how he prays in Luke chapter 22. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, it is not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. He needed to be strengthened by an angel. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You can sense the fervency, the intensity that Jesus prays with in this verse. There's a famous preacher named Charles Spurgeon who uh, once said this about prayer. He compared people coming to pray with ringing a bell at an old church. He said that some grab the rope of prayer, but they hardly move it at all. 
And God seemingly doesn't hear. Others come and grab the rope of prayer and shake it just a little, barely waking heaven. Then there are those who, when they come to pray, grab hold of the rope of prayer and they pull it with all their might, ringing the bell loudly and repeatedly. When you pray, do you ring the bells of heaven? Do you pray like, like you mean it? Epaphras was faithful, he was fervent, and he was focused in his prayer life. Now, whenever I say that he was focused, I, I mean that he was locked into the right things. I get into trouble sometimes whenever I'm at the office, and, and Lauren calls from the house, and, and I answer the phone, but at the same time, I'm still trying to work on something on my computer. And she can tell pretty quickly by my awkward pauses or whenever I repeat something that she had just said that I am not really focused. Epaphras was focused in his prayers. His prayers were preoccupied with the right things. So our prayers need to be focused on the right things. I think one of those things is we need to be focused on others. Our prayers need to be focused on others rather than solely upon ourselves. We see that in, in Epaphras. Verse 12, it says, you are all, he was always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. And then in verse 13, he has worked hard for you and for those that are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Often our prayers are, are preoccupied with, with ourselves or our loved ones and, and we hardly ever pray beyond our own personal immediate needs or relationships. But I think God would have us expand our prayer circle. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 say this. I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, which is praying on behalf of somebody else, that supplications, prayer, intercession, another, another way of saying to pray on behalf of somebody else, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Not only do our prayers need to be focused on others, but they should be focused on, on the spiritual, not just the material. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about our, our physical needs, our daily needs, such as money to pay bills or, or clothes or shelter or protection or food. Um, but there are other things that maybe we should be focusing on as well. And I love what verse 12 says about how he prayed, about what he prayed for praying that you may stand mature and fully assure in all the will of God. This word mature here in this passage means perfect, that you would be able to stand perfect. Fully assured is this idea of, of being confident or, or being complete. And so Epaphras prayed that the people would, would grow to be spiritually mature enough to, to know the will of God for their lives and to stand confident in it not just what they were supposed to do or what God wanted them to do, but standing in the will of God in, in the plan of his salvation. I found this quote online this week from a preacher, and I, and I thought it fit pretty well. It says, I truly believe our greatest needs are spiritual. We have enough credit cards. What we need is contentment. We have enough possessions. What we need is maturity. We have toys for our recreation and ple pleasure. What we need is repentance and a passion for the things of God. We have comforts. What we need is more courage and boldness to witness. 
How does your prayer list read? How big is your prayer circle? What are you asking God for? Are your prayers locked into the right things? Lastly, this morning, I think Epaphras' prayers were hard fought. Whenever we look back at verse 12, it says that he was always struggling. And the phrase in the Greek is this, this phrase, agonizomai. And it comes from the Greek word agonia, where we get our word agony. So that means to, to fight or, or to contend. And so here, Paul speaks of prayer as, as fighting, as, as wrestling. The prayer is, is a struggle. Perhaps often why we don't pray as faithfully or as fervently or as focused as we ought is, is because prayer is not easy. Prayer is a struggle. Prayer is one of the most powerful weapons that a believer has in his arsenal. And so whenever we pray, we, we do battle. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our struggle with, with prayer is not due to a reluctant God. Our, our God is never unwilling to hear our prayers, but it is a struggle to pray because of our flesh, because of this present world, because of the devil. It's much like the last few minutes of, of a movie where you have the good guy and the bad guy going at it, trying to, to fight it out. And of course, there, there's a gun that slides across the floor, and, and there's a struggle to get to that gun because whoever gets to the gun first has the advantage. Prayer is a mighty weapon in our conflict with sin. Satan will do everything in his power to keep you away from the weapon of prayer. And so as you try to slide across the room towards prayer, the flesh, the world systems, the, the devil grabs you by the ankle to try, and, to try and pull you away, to pull you back. And even when we do grab a few moments to pray, there's still that present struggle to pray as, as we should. Maybe we just don't know exactly the words to say. Romans 8.26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to, to be an encourager, to be a person who, who lifts others up like Epaphras by praying faithfully and fervently and focused and praying ready to fight. As we kind of come to a close this morning, as you think about what that looks like in your life, I want to close with, with two warnings that I think are important to be mindful of as we pursue this idea of encouraging others through our prayers. And then I want to ask two questions and then we'll be done. As you are focusing on encouraging others by your prayers, here's the first warning. Your prayers may go unanswered, or at least it may seem like they're unanswered. It may seem like God isn't listening, or it may seem like his timing isn't exactly what we would like, or even that his answer isn't what we thought it would be. First Peter chapter 3, verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. If we are faithful in our prayers, God will be faithful to us to hear those prayers and to work through them.
The second thing is that your prayers may go unnoticed. Your prayers may go unnoticed. I, I think there's just kind of a natural aspect of praying to others that, that, that just goes unnoticed. I think it's totally fine to, to send a text to a friend and say, hey, hey, I'm praying for you this week. But even Jesus commands that when we, we pray, that we are to, to go into our rooms and, and close the doors, that it shouldn't be about some external display of, of our spiritual maturity. So even with this natural tendency of prayer being kind of unnoticed, it can be discouraging to not see the fruits of, of our labor or to ever be recognized for, for what we have been doing. And Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 speaks to this. It says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. And so you may be one of the members in this body who, whose work is behind the scenes. It goes unnoticed, often unappreciated, but our God does not lose track of you or your work. It doesn't go unnoticed. So to close this morning, I want to ask you two questions. As you think about being an encouragement in prayer to others, first let me ask, who is your Epaphras? Who is, who is your Epaphras? Who is, who is the person that, that is praying for you? Uh, our, our women's ministry here at the church has, has a prayer team, and, and every few months I get a, a phone call from Sharon Buster, and, and she wants an update about what's happening in our student ministry, the classes that we have, who's teaching those classes, um, just different events that we have going on. She called this past week to ask about the summer. And I don't know about you, but whenever you know that somebody is praying for you, it lifts you up. It's an encouragement. It's comforting. But a lot of times, we are too stubborn or prideful to ask for prayer. And I'm not just talking about prayer requests shared in the Sunday school class. Those are great. But here's what I'm talking about. Who are you going to on a regular basis for intense, hard-fought prayer on your behalf? Who is your Epaphras? And then lastly, whose Epaphras are you? Who is it that you need to encourage, that you need to, to lift up, that you need to, to be praying for? We have, we have 21 graduates getting ready to, to go to college or to go to work, and they need your prayer. We have lots of young families in this church, lots of, of little kids, lots of growing families. And, and those moms and dads and those kids, they, they need your prayer. There are lots of families in this church who are hurting and going through difficult times. Who is it that you are going to encourage and then lift up? I pray this morning that we can come alongside each other we can build each other up, that we can lift each other up by praying faithfully and fervently and focused and ready for a fight.